0: Hey everybody, come on over here, it's the Northern Miner Podcast. to Episode 96 of the Northern Miner Podcast. I am your host, John Cumming, the Editor-in-Chief of the Northern Miner. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, this week, we've got a terrific show coming up, and uh, we have a special appearance by Trish Saywell, our senior staff writer. She, uh, along with all of us, were at the PDAC convention, and uh, she took in a couple of interesting panels, uh, a banking panel and a newsletter writer's panel, so she's going to Talk about that. And then uh, Richard Quarisa, our staff writer, is uh, coming back with another episode of his Rick's Picks. And our special guest this week is Brady Fletcher. He's the managing director of the TSX Venture Exchange. It's a terrific interview, half an hour. Uh, Brady's really on the ball here, and I asked him just about every question I could think of. So uh, tune in for that. Let's see, before we begin, I just want to thank our podcast sponsors. We have our longtime sponsor, the Yukon Mining Alliance. Those are 17 companies active in the Yukon. And to be a member, you have to have uh, identified resources in the territory. And uh, you can f- follow all their uh, companies there at yukonminingalliance.ca. And I would certainly recommend following them on Twitter at, uh, at investyukon. And our second podcast sponsor is the Grosso Group. That's led by, of course, Joe Grosso out in Vancouver. And the Grosso Group has been active in South America since 1993. And their three key vehicles these days are uh, Golden Arrow Resources, Argentina Lithium and Energy, and Blue Sky Uranium. And you can find links to all those on our website. We'd also like to extend our thanks to our Mining Minute sponsor this month. It is SRK Consulting. SRK was established in 1974. They're an independent group, and they now employ more than 1,400 professionals internationally in over 45 offices on six continents. And if you want to subscribe to our podcast, uh, it's first posted on SoundCloud and iTunes. And, uh, of course, it's right on our Northern Minor website, and I, we take the paywall off the uh, link there. And uh, myself, I know on my Android phone, I use Pocket Casts, which is great uh, uh, for small charge. It's a great little program for handling podcasts. It's interesting just looking through, uh, you know, I'm getting a handle on this podcasting and the editing and things like that. But yeah. Uh, One thing is just to look at the podcast statistics, uh, and uh, I'm just kind of struck by some of the statistics we're getting for this podcast. Um, It's really growing, uh, and it's all over the world, of course. Uh, Just in the last 12 months, we've had 60,500 listens, and our record uh, month so far is January of 2018, where we had 7,400 listens. The top cities for our uh, podcast listeners are Toronto, Vancouver, no surprise. And the third one, interestingly, is San Francisco. Just uh, reflecting the international nature of this industry, the top 10 countries for the podcast listeners are Canada, USA, UK, Australia, Sweden, Brazil, Netherlands, Japan, France, and Germany. And uh, Bulgaria in there too. And South Korea. And let's start with a roundup of commodity prices. First off, we've got oil, Uh, West Texas Intermediate futures are 62.61, and Brent futures are 66.53. They're up about 1% the last few days on the classic Mideast tensions, Uh, the US dollar's weakening a bit, and then uh, oil output out of Venezuela keeps dropping. And uh, of course, in Canada, there's just endless pipeline wars out west between uh, BC and Alberta and environmental groups and now turning to the metals, uh, precious and base metals, um, even with the weak dollar, uh, basically all the metals. Spoiler alert: all the metals are coming off a bit. Uh, gold is at 1310, and you know a month ago it was at 1340. Silver is at 1617; it was at 1740 a month ago. Platinum 942; it was a thousand bucks a month ago. Palladium has been flat the last few weeks, but it was still. Um, it's yes, trained at 977. It was 1040 a month ago. And over to the base metals, uh, copper is 305. That was 320 a month ago. Nickel is at 611, uh, kind of steady. Although on the positive side, it was only $4 last July. It's up to 611 now. Zinc is at 146. Uh, it's come off quite a bit the last few weeks. It was at 160 a few weeks ago. Lead is at $1.06. And. Uh, This is all happening even as the U.S. dollar is weakening a bit, and then the LME warehouse levels are also dropping. So uh, we're seeing quite a bit of weakness in the metals across the board. Now, there's been quite a bit of uh, liveliness in the gold uh, junior sector uh, with quite a bit of M&A activity just in the last few days here. Of course, the big one you've heard about is Hecla Mining is offering to buy uh, Klondex Mines in a friendly offer, and that's um, for $462 U.S., Uh, in cash and shares, what they're going to do is spin out the Canadian asset, which is uh, the True North mine in Manitoba. So Heckler will scoop up the uh, U.S. assets there. That would bring in 162,000 gold equivalent ounces a year to Heckler's account. Just in the release here, you've got Phillips Baker, that's Heckler's president and CEO, saying, one of our core strengths is operating high-grade, narrow vein underground mines, and Klondex's three operating mines, Fire Creek, Midas, and Hollister, are some of the highest-grade gold mines in the world. Uh, so now Hecla will have uh, large positions in Alaska, Quebec, Nevada, Mexico, and Idaho. Another friendly deal is uh, Alio Gold is offering to buy Rye Patch Gold. Alio Gold, if you'll recall, is the uh, new name for Timmins Gold. and. What uh, Rye patch is pretty small there. They're offering uh, $128 million Canadian for rye patch. The merged company would have roughly 165,000 ounces of gold production in 2018 from two open pit heap leach operations in Sonora, Mexico, and Nevada, USA. Alio Gold, if you'll recall, its principal asset is the 100th, 100% owned and operating San Francisco mine in Sonora, and it's 100% owned development stage, Ana Paula project in Guerrero, Mexico. And Rye Patch's assets are all in Nevada, and that includes the 100% owned Florida Canyon Mine. This was an old mine that uh, Rye Patch brought back into production and it uh, just achieved commercial production again in December 2017. The third deal is a small deal, but it's just a sign of the times. Uh, This is a hostile takeover, I haven't seen one of those uh, in a long time in the microcap sector, but this is uh, Dustin Angelo's Anaconda Mining, is uh, about to launch a hostile takeover attempt at of uh, Maritime Resources. Anaconda Mining has a uh, mine in northern Newfoundland, the island of Newfoundland, and uh, Maritime Resources has uh, assets around there, so uh, this would add to um, Anaconda's resource base, and uh, they feel they could develop it at a lower cost. And with February coming to a close, the uh, TSX and TSX Venture Exchange comes out with their bulletins for the month and uh, just just some things that stood out in my mind looking through them. Uh, The most actively traded mining stocks for February were uh, First Quantum, Kinross, Eldorado, Barrick and Lundin. And the largest price change, this is on the TSX, was Agnico Eagle Mines, which dropped uh, almost $9. And the largest percentage price change uh, on the positive side was uh, Nautilus Minerals, which was up 43%. They're the uh, ocean floor miners, or would-be miners. And some of the largest short positions in February, uh, at least on the mining side, were Ivanhoe Mines, the Class A shares, Sandstorm Gold, and Dorado Gold. And some of the uh, largest increases in short positions in February were Ivanhoe Mines, McEwen Mining, Osisco, Lundin, and Yamana, so some big names there. And the biggest mine financing in February was Torex Gold, which raised $63 million. And one one thing that just stood out in the name change department, uh, at long last, Shore Gold has changed its name to Star Diamond Corp. So that's great. They've always been a diamond company, and uh, they have their star Kimberlite and others in Saskatchewan. So they're going with the diamond uh, story, so they're now called Star Diamond. Looking on the venture exchange, the... The first one that jumped out at me was New Strike Resources, most active by volume and one of the most active by value. turns out uh, they're a marijuana company. <laughs> they, uh, they gave up looking for uh, minerals in the rattlesnake hills of Wyoming a few years ago, so they're, they're actually a marijuana company. So, um, Some of the ones that were the largest increased by price were Cobalt-27, of course, a hot company these days, and then Novo Resources with their uh, Paleoplacer prospect in Australia. And now we're going to take a little break and we'll return with Trish Saywell. And now we have with us our senior staff writer, Trish Saywell. Trish, how are you doing?
1: Great, thanks. John, how are you?
0: Pretty good. Now, uh, Trish and I were both at the PDAC uh, all four days there, and uh, Trish sat in on the um, banking session and wrote a front-page feature story on the session in our Issue 6, March 19th edition. And uh, Trish, maybe you have a few observations about what happened there?
1: Yeah, I would say that was probably one of the better sessions at PDAC this year. I mean, the gist of what they were saying is that um, equity markets are providing less financing than they used to, and and the stats are roughly like between 2013 and 2015, juniors raised about 80% of their financing from, from the equity markets. And now in the last 12 to 18 months or so, it's been about 40% from the public markets and 60% from strategic private placements. So strategic private placements are taking a much larger role in financing as is private equity. And another thing they noted that was really interesting was that more and more companies are starting to think about doing joint ventures to mitigate their risks and to eliminate the duplication of costs. And uh, Barrick is actually the best example. Even though this has been going on for a while in the base metal sector, it hasn't been going on in the precious metal sector. And Barrick was one of the first to do it. And the first one they did was with uh, Gold Corp at Pueblo Viejo in, in, uh, in the Dominican. And since then, they've done four others. They've done Veladero in Argentina with Shandong Gold. Jabal Said, in Saudi with molybdenum, Porger in PNG with Zhejin Mining, and Zoldovar in Chile with Anafagasta.
0: Good stuff. And uh, you also sat in on the uh, newsletter writers. Anything uh, stand out in your mind from that session?
1: Well, I, I love listening to John Kaiser. He's always uh, great fun and he's smart as anything. And uh, he was kind of, I guess his favorite picks would be scandium uh, and of course cobalt and zinc like everyone else. But he also said that he thinks diamonds are ready to come back to life, which I thought was really interesting because the diamond sector has been so, so depressed uh, of recent years. Um, now, Rick Rule, he's, he said he loves copper and uranium and uh, has started allocating capital to phosphate and uh, fertilizers. Uh, sorry, phosphates and potash because the world needs to eat, he says. He also says he's a contrarian. He's willing to take a lot of political risk in jurisdictions like the DRC and in um, Venezuela even. So the, the other thing he noted was that um, he's noticed on conference calls over the last six months or so that management has started talking about uh, mining as, as a real business. Uh, in other words, from they're moving away from old narratives of production growth and leveraging to commodity prices to, more, to, to things like rational capital allocation and free cash flow per share. So he thinks he's seeing signs of the mining business really starting to think and sound like a real business for once.
0: That's good, thanks, thanks so much Trish.
1: That's great, thanks John.
0: And now we're gonna take a quick break as Trish and Richard swap places and we'll be back in a sec. Parisa here for our Rick's Picks session. Uh, Richard, what do you got for us this week?
2: This week I have uh, three very interesting picks for the Northern Miner podcast listening audience. Uh, let's start off with the, uh, with the heavy guns, the Venture Exchange. You know, this past week I was looking at a little company called Allset Minerals. Uh, they're a lithium explorer in Mexico. They have a 100% interest in seven solars in central Mexico that cover about 35 square kilometers. Uh, Now this company, uh, their stock rose uh, 64.3% last week to 23 cents, and I think that's mostly based on uh, some news they put out. They recently hired SRK Consulting to come in and do a resource estimate on three of their SOLARs. And at the same time, they announced that they were in the process of signing a collaboration agreement with the Center for Research and Advanced Studies of the National Polytechnic Institute in Saltillo, Mexico. That lab focuses on metallurgy. So kind of making moves that would indicate that they're, that they're really getting serious about the resource they have there.
0: Huh, interesting. I didn't realize they had uh, solaris, uh for lithium in uh, Mexico. So that's a new one on me. And uh, let's move on to number two.
2: Number two, we're gonna move on to the Toronto Stock Exchange with a company called Katanga Mining. Uh, they're focused on uh, copper and cobalt in the DRC Uh, they've had some positive publicity lately uh, by way of a article in Toronto's Globe and Mail where uh, Michael Smedley the executive vice president and chief investment officer at Morgan Mahan and Associates gave the company some high praise over the past week their stock rose 17 percent to two dollars and six cents now their consolidated reserves across several properties in the DRC total 138 million tons grading 3.15 percent copper and 0.51 percent cobalt with another 238.5 million tons in the indicated category with slightly but not much just slightly higher grades. Now of course there's always issues of political stability to think about when it comes to mining in the DRC but uh, Katanga remains an intriguing company considering Mining giant Glencore owns a majority share in the company.
0: Huh, that's impressive. It could uh, have a strong share gain with all the problems there uh, lately. Or, or I don't know if it's a problem, but the government's raising royalty rates, as we've uh, reported before. And uh, another uh, company here in your uh, picks, another one I've active in the DRC, Ivanhoe
2: yeah, uh, Ivanhoe also active on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Now Ivanhoe's consolidated short position increased by more than two million shares as of the end of February. That's a which brings it now to about sixteen point5 million shares. It's a stock that's seen some volatility recently in in late January, it was trading above four dollars, but has since fallen off a bit of a cliff dropping as low as two seventy four. At the time of this recording, it's not much higher than that, trading at around $2.76. Now, the interesting thing here is that it had been on the rise since early 2016 and spent most of 2017 trading above $3. Ivanhoe has recently stated that they're a part of the ongoing talks in the DRC uh, regarding the revisions to the mining code. And while it's not clear how that's going to shake out, it remains an intriguing stock.
0: Great. Thanks. And I think we have time for a bonus round. Do you have a a bonus (laughs) stock?
2: Wow, I'm so caught off guard here. But if I had to choose one, (laughs) it would probably be United States Steel, which fell $3.73 U.S. cents to $39.96. That's an 8.5% change. Uh, I think this is an interesting time for United States Steel. Uh, this is a company whose stock had been on the rise since early 2016. It shot up right after the last U.S. presidential election in late 2016, and despite a few dips along the way, it's definitely been on an upward trend. Goldman Sachs just initiated coverage on the stock with a neutral rating and a price target of $45. So there's still some uncertainty around the stock, but I definitely think it's one to keep an eye on, uh, especially in light of comments made by the U.S. president and his administration lately regarding possible steel tariffs on China and Europe. Uh, This is a stock that I'm definitely really interested in right now to see how things go.
0: Great. Thanks, Richard. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for having me,
2: John. How was that? (laughs) That's great.
0: And now it's time for our Mining Minute with our Mining Minute sponsor, SRK Consulting. Now, Richard caught up with Stephen Day. He's the chairman of SRK's North American Board and a practice leader in waste management. Stephen is a corporate consultant in geochemistry at SRK's Vancouver office and an SRK North America practice leader. He is an experienced specialist in the development of waste management plans to address acid rock drainage and leaching of mine wastes in general. Take it away, Stephen.
3: If you go back to the 1970s when people were sort of, you know, really getting concerned about water quality from mining, you could almost count the number of things you had to worry about on one hand, like, you know, zinc and copper and lead and iron. You know, they were kind of, that was the list. Well, now arsenic has been around for a while, but I mean, a big thing we deal with now is selenium. And, you know, you go back then, the sensitivity was more around human health, whereas, as long as I've been working in this field since the since the late 80s, it's it's more about everything that could use the water. You know, it, it could be fish, it could be it could be birds, it could be um, it could be using the water for irrigation. If you're using it to water your crops, you have to think about different chemicals, than if you are drinking it, or, or worrying about what a fish might think of it.
2: So, so, that, so then I guess if you extrapolate that out, is this a process that you anticipate will just get more complicated as time goes on? and become more aware of more yeah. things that we need to pay attention to. It will get that way. Yeah. yeah I
3: mean, if you think about the sort of the, the interest in um, sort of critical or strategic metals right now, um, you know, that that means that we're going to be mining different rocks. And so we're going to be thinking about different elements that, you know, the, the whole periodic table really is open. know, I was thinking back to when I first got involved in the, um, you know, this work back in the late 1980s and the, the really the big kind of shift in the mining industry at that time was something we called designing for closure. Which was kind of the recognition that prior to the 80s, the mining was was all about getting the commodity out of the ground. And there wasn't a lot of thought to the leftovers, basically. And, and let's face it, mining is mostly about leftovers. It just happens to be paid for by the small amount of commodity you get out of it, right? So, so that so in the in the late 1980s, was this awareness that that mining has a footprint after you finish mining, right? So I think the, the big focus for, you know, what we're talking about internally and what the industry is moving toward is kind of revisiting those technologies, but also thinking about technologies that, that can last forever, right? Rather than things that need a lot of maintenance, um, to try and come up with ways of managing mine waste that, that are, you know, more integrated with mining and um, will allow us to basically say that, you know, when we build that landform, it's going to be stable for forever you know, and, I, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a focus for us internally, and I mean, it's not just for us, I mean, it's the whole industry is thinking about it, you know, it's, it's a really big deal.
0: Before we welcome Brady Fletcher, the uh, TSX Venture Exchange's uh, Managing Director, uh, I thought we'd just look through some of the stats. There's been a resurgence in uh, mining listings in the Toronto Stock Exchange and the TSX Venture Exchange uh, in 2017. Uh, There was a 73% increase in new mining listings on both markets and a 12% increase in mining companies market capitalization last year. Uh, initial public offerings also saw an increase in 2017 with three on the TSX and 10 on the TSX Venture Exchange, raising about $966 million. Mm-hmm. And the TSX says the momentum has continued into 2018. As of January 31st, 2018, the TSX and TSX Venture welcomed 11 new mining issuers, including three IPOs. And overall, the, uh, the two exchanges are home to... 1,211 mining issuers that have a combined market cap of approximately 310 billion as of January 31st, uh, 2018. And there were 1,413 mining financings in 2017 on both exchanges, and that represents 59% of public mining company financings completed globally. And now we're joined by Brady Fletcher. He's the managing director of the TSX Venture Exchange, uh, Brady has fantastic timing. He joined in October 2016 and he's been enjoying the uh, rebound. Uh, Hi there, Brady. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks, John. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. uh, uh,
4: Definitely been a fun year and a half.
0: Yeah. And uh, I guess I could tell our listeners uh, Brady's based in Vancouver. And uh, before that, he's had a few different roles with uh, a few different companies uh, Sea to Sky Equities, Blackbook Technologies, Crystal X Energy Venture, and uh, Canaccord Genuity. And uh, uh, interestingly, he has a engineering degree from uh, or computer science engineering degree. if that's right from Queen's University in uh, Kingston, Ontario. Uh, anyway, so uh, maybe you could give us a broad view of what's happening in the markets from your perspective.
4: Sure, uh, and, and thanks very much, John. <laughs> it's it's interesting, right? When I joined when I joined Canaccord, we were doing over two deals a day, uh, wow. and you know, obviously, mining was. Mining was such a huge part of that, and you know our our public venture capital model at Canaccord was so powerful because we were able to leverage that Canadian retail network that would put a few million bucks to work behind an early stage opportunity. Uh, you'd go drill those first holes and see what happened, and if it worked, then the Canaccord system was set up that we could expand with that company and bring that company into the institutional channels and start to raise material amounts of money for these companies. Um, right. You know, Corriente was a great great example of that, where we did a $125 million overnight marketed deal uh, right. at one point. Yeah, it's exciting, right? I mean, these companies, they get up and they get started here on the venture and they raise a couple million bucks. And then as they prove out their resource, then they're able to go and tap into those institutional channels here in Canada. Right. So if we back up for a second and and, you know, what's actually going on in the market right now, I think this is I think this is the healthiest I've seen our markets in Canada in the 15 year career that I've had now. Really? And it's wow. because yeah, it's because when we did our Venture 50 awards last year, we've never had kind of the uniform performance. Mining has mining has always has always dominated to the point that, you know, the 67th best mining company would have ranked in the top 10 of the technology sector. And the way that we calculate our Venture 50 every year is tied to uh, a share price appreciation, b market capitalization appreciation, which might sound a little bit redundant, but when you look at market cap, it also factors in those companies that are that are financing actively, uh, as well as those companies that are using their their publicly quoted share currency for acquisitions. Right. And then the and then the third factor is actually the trading volume, and mm. so it. We break the entire 1,654 listed companies we have into uh, five different buckets of mining, energy and energy services, technology, uh, life sciences, and clean tech, and then diversified. Mm-hmm. And when we did that this year, we looked, at our 50 com- we looked at our 50 companies, we had relatively consistent performance across all five buckets, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was you know, really exciting to look at and sort of demonstrated the health of the market right now. Yes. When we when we closed out 2017, uh, we did 6.1 billion dollars in financings uh, across the across the market. Wow. And I know, you know, cryptocurrencies and marijuana and there's a couple of headline industries that are I think bringing new pools of capital to our markets, mm-hmm. but 3.2 billion of that 6.1 went into the mining space. Hmm. And that to me, that to me really demonstrates that we're out of a cycle where companies are just raising money for G&A, uh, and we saw that at PDAC as well. Uh, it's right. not just keeping office lights on anymore. <clears throat> this is companies are financing drill programs. Companies are putting bits to work in the ground, uh, and we're actually starting to see those results come back,
2: uh, right. which
4: I which I think is really exciting for the mining sector, and and partly. Uh, we have to give a little bit of credit to the technology space, to the crypto space, to the marijuana space for bringing some excitement back to this market. And you know, I, I think back to when I was at Canaccord and and doing the investment banking, and you're raising those first couple million bucks. It's it's all about building momentum and helping these disruptive industries and these and these new groups tap into retail capital and then scale on our markets. Uh, and we're starting to see the technology guys and and the other industries do that
0: right from from your perspective, how do you uh keep control on it so it doesn't get a little crazy or uh there's scams involved <laughs> or uh, with the with the marijuana and the cryptocurrency and blockchain and stuff like that
4: yeah well it's a, it, it's an interesting question it 's always with a cat and mouse too right um, yes but but we at venture definitely have listing standards that we adhere to those are those are published and they're available on our website. I also have a team of uh, 65 people across the country in my listings and my compliance teams who are actively reviewing the the disclosure and what gets filed with us, uh, the applications Hi. for the applications for different financings uh, and the new listings applications. So we we have a very close eye on companies when they go through Uh, When they go through our listings process, we do deep background checks on them, we assess their financial model, we make sure that they're raising enough money to have a year's worth of operations, Uh, Mm -hmm. so, you know, legitimate kick if it can for these entrepreneurial ventures. Sure. Um, But then then once they're up and listed with us, you know, anytime a company goes to have a name change, they file that with us. Uh, Anytime there's a press release that goes out, um, A, IROC provides market surveillance and market oversight so that, you know, if If a share price reacts in an abnormal way, uh, Mm -hmm. it gets flagged. We can chase down some additional disclosure. But my compliance team is actively looking at, you know, what's been filed. Is this an indication of a, of a change of business or is the company really just trying to change their name from gold mining co to, to marijuana gold co and, and take advantage of some hype there. You know, we we've got a close eye on that here, and, and we don't let that happen.
0: For for the layman, uh, just uh, what is the the definition of a change of business, uh, say from a mining company to a marijuana company? When when does when do they cross the line, as it were?
4: Sure, uh, and, and I think that's one of the secrets to the Canadian venture model here uh, is that we allow companies to do reverse takeovers mm-hmm. and or qualifying transactions for a capital pool company that we have listed. But what happens when there's a change of business is that one of these gold mining companies that may have staked an interesting property uh, drilled their first holes. If they find out it didn't work, then it's an opportunity for management to go tighten their belt. Uh, They can say, hey, you know what, that project that we had didn't turn out the way we wanted it to. Mm -hmm. Um, So we can go back and, and say, it's time for us to figure out something else to do. The beauty of that is that it gives all of those early shareholders another kick at the can. It's their chance to participate in whatever management decides to do with that company next. Mm -hmm. And as marijuana marijuana started to pick up and as uh, the whole blockchain space started to pick up, we've seen those companies avail themselves of that same structure, Mm -hmm. where a mining company that didn't work out has been able to Sign an agreement with somebody that has a that has a marijuana cultivation license, and can then revert do a reverse takeover and bring that business into, into the the mining company. Right. So when a, that company changes from being a gold mining company to being a life sciences business, they file a change of business with us that mm-hmm. dictate that dictates that they've switched their fundamental operating business.
0: Right. Right. Okay, that's good to know. And maybe uh, just focusing in on mining again uh, more closely, yeah. uh, just the IPOs of the last year, maybe the trend, uh, what, what do you see there? <laughs> yeah, the
4: arguably 2017 was the year of the return of the IPO. Um, yes. you know, on TSX, we had we had three big ones, right? Nexa mm-hmm. Resources for $732 million, which was a spin-out from Brazilian Voter Um mm-hmm. So that was, a big, that was a big win for us. Eero uh, Copper as well, and then Titan uh, Mining, which you know they played it really well. That's uh, a zinc, that's a zinc mining company. And when you look at the diversified mining sector as a whole, mm-hmm. uh, we've really seen the battery metal, the battery metals, and the and the diversified industrial metals uh, exceeding the market performance. Um, right. On venture, we also had we had ten additional IPOs on venture that raised over fifty six million dollars. Mm-hmm. And so it's exciting to see, you know, companies able to come to market to do a traditional IPO. It's the cleanest way for them to go public, and mm-hmm. the markets are here supporting them.
0: Right. And and what is the significance of these foreign companies coming to Canada of all places, like a, a NEXA?
4: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not, it's not a new trend for foreign companies to come to Canada. Um, mm-hmm. There's, there's 5,700 mining projects under... Uh, either exploration or development, between the two two markets and the companies listed on TSX and TSX Venture. And roughly half of those projects are in international locations.
0: Mm -hmm.
4: So we're, as the Canadian capital markets, we're world leaders in the mining space, and we've always been internationally focused. I think what you're seeing when NEXA chooses to come to Canada is the recognition that uh, by the numbers, 59% of of all mining financings happened here in Canada in 2017. Wow! And you know, over over a third of all the dollars raised in 2017 happened on one of our two markets here in Canada.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
4: the the pools of capital that really understand mining and that trade mining companies and that finance that exploration and get excited about you know drill bits turning and and the production. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all active here, and they all look to Canada because, you know, we've done things like defined the 43-101 standard. Mm-hmm. Um, our our markets and our pools of capital are the most sophisticated for mining, and and as a result, good companies come to tap into that.
0: Right, and uh, another point you folks uh, underline is the uh, return of interlist- interlisted companies. What, what, what's going on there?
4: And there was a couple on that front, um, between Sole Gold, Cardinal, and Cleantech. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, and I think, you know, it's not a, it's not a slight against other markets. It's that when you think about, when you think about the purpose of dual listing, it's that you want to enable your shares to be traded in the market where, uh, the capital or the domestic market for the pools of capital
0: mm-hmm. and
4: listing Listing here in Canada means that you're trading on the same time zone as everyone in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, It also means that you're getting access to that same pool of capital that's sophisticated, that understands the mining space. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, I think, what you've seen happen, uh, is that some of these companies who are listed elsewhere have said we want access to that sophisticated Canadian pool of mining capital uh, and that they, they felt that their shareholder base uh, was more focused here, and they wanted to provide that shareholder base the ability to trade on their home time frame. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: I, I have to ask you—you're in a unique perspective here. But uh, yeah. what's going on with the sort of the difficulties with uh, retail brokerage houses, and what's the future of that? Or you've had the time at Canaccord years ago, and then now you're saying yeah. this is almost one of the best years ever. So where does what's the role of the boutique brokerage house today in Canada?
4: Yeah, it's an interesting question, right? Um, You know, we've gone through an extended town cycle in the markets um, where where I think you did see a lot of those independent dealers who traditionally had uh, very transactional uh, retail teams have shifted more and more into the wealth management game. You know, the reality is that when markets start to open up and people start to be able to do deals, I, I think all of those firms have have embraced the ability uh, for their brokers to put those deals together and you mm-hmm. definitely hear that from the guys at Canaccord. Right. Um, it, it's also opened up the opportunity for firms like PI Financial and Haywood to continue to expand um, as well as you know new market entrants like Gravitas Financial and mm-hmm. and some of the other guys that have gone and gotten the full IROC designation. Right. I think you know the bigger the bigger question becomes one of okay well you know what is what is venture and the venture exchange isn't isn't meant to be a public market for small companies with the hope that sometimes those small companies become big companies what we are is a true venture capital formation platform yes and when i say that i mean that when a company lists with us it's not to provide the entrepreneurs and the original founding shareholders with liquidity on day 1 it's not meant to be a big, flashy IPO where companies are, are getting liquidity and exiting right out of the gate. You're listing with venture because you need access to capital and because you want the most efficient, fastest way to do it. That's the ability for companies to be listed with us to do bot deals, uh, for companies to raise sequential rounds of capital so it's less dilutive. It means that you can go and you can raise a million or $2 million to test a project If the project works out, then you can go and you can raise a a sequentially larger amount of money at a higher valuation, which Mm -hmm. is less dilutive for the business. And when you tie this back to the original question of, of, you know, what about the independent dealers? I think this is, we're in an evolution right now where, you know, the venture market has to be focused on how do we provide... The issuers listed with us with the best access to capital, and Mm -hmm. we continue to streamline the rules and the processes for our listed issuers to access capital. If that, if those pools of capital change, that it's not entirely, it's not as heavily weighted to retail, and we do start to see small cap institutions or pools of private equity or larger family offices wanting to play, um, you know, it's about us figuring out how to how do we adapt our market to make sure that the companies listed here have the best access to those different
0: pools of capital? Right, right. Good stuff. And another sort of big-picture type question for you. Uh, we had the, all that period of consolidation of stock exchanges years ago and things have settled down, or or what, what is the situation with the, the big uh, consolidations?
4: Yeah, it, it, well, we, we went through that with TMX too, right? Uh, sure, I, yeah. This is before my time, but the whole maple transaction, there's a balance, right? And there's a balance between uh, consolidating all the stock exchanges and the synergies of, of being able to uh, lever the same technology and trade matching engines and pieces that are uh, in the background that enable us to operate this efficient market. But then there's also, you know, we're all in competition for listings and at some point um, you're competing with yourself, right? Uh, yes. And so I think when you look at the consolidation of stock exchanges and you try to figure out what makes sense, it's about, it's about how do you open up new pools of capital and how do you streamline the listings process for mm-hmm. your client? You know, it's obviously there live discussions that we have and that's, that's the thesis is, you know, how do we, how do we expand the capital that is active on our markets? Uh, and how do we ensure that we're streamlining the listings process and, and being a public company for clients that are here?
0: Right, right. I guess one slight gripe I hear from the odd junior is that it's a little too expensive to a list uh, on the TSX Venture that, you know, there's a few competitors pop up, but uh, they haven't really grown that much. But how, how do you uh, talk to clients about the, you know, the annual fees and things like that?
4: Yeah. And, and you know, I'm, the investment banker in me is, is definitely oriented around being, around success fees, right? And, you know, yes. you don't get paid unless you're creating value for somebody. The reality is that when you look at, when you look at this market and, you know, we talked a little bit about the team across the country and the reviews that we do and, and arguably a little bit higher touch than some of the other exchanges out there. You know, we hear that that, in, that that takes additional time to get through sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it's bred, it's bred integrity into our markets. And so yeah. we have international pools of capital and institutional pools of capital that look to us and the companies listed here with a confidence that, you know, they're what's being disclosed is, is what's represented it is full plain true. Right. And that that integrity and that confidence in our markets is why, you know, 40 percent of our daily trading activity comes from outside of Canada. That's, those are all institutional pools of capital that come here because they have faith in what and how we operate the market. Twenty-five percent of our member firms—that's you know the brokerages and and the investment banks and everybody who are advising clients—are headquartered outside of Canada. And I think that that's that's the piece that we kind of need to focus on a little bit. Is you know how do you how do you ensure that? We're we're providing confidence to those pools of capital that that these companies are operating legal businesses and that they're not just making name changes and that we're you know we're actually building we're building real businesses here on the venture exchange. Right. Um, and you know I think it 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 ultimately proves in the numbers right. Uh, Drone delivery Canada was one that we graduated earlier this year and in the month after their graduation their stock price doubled. Management told us about. Uh, management told us that their web traffic increased ten times. That
0: mm-hmm.
4: um, started to they started to get calls from research analysts saying, finally we can cover we can cover your stock. So all all of that is kind of driven because we've we've focused on maintaining the integrity, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, within Canada, uh, I'm sure you have some kind of lobbying side to your job as well. Is there some kind of legislation or, that you're working towards, or are you happy with things, or what's going on there?
4: Well, I, <laughs> you know, I took this, I took this role be, not because I needed a job, but because it was a chance to have a seat at the table and to yes. you know, be able to advocate and lobby for for changes not only within venture but also the broader ecosystem. Uh-huh. Um, you know, how do we make it better? And how do we how do we make it better for our listed clients? Um, how do we you know bring that health into the market so that it's not only weighted to one specific sector? But you know, if if there's a sectoral downturn, people are still trading and active here, and there's still money flowing for good companies. And so there's constant there's a constant evolution underway, and that's right. everything from reviewing our capital pool company program internally, our listing requirements. How do we streamline our listings process uh, how do we adopt technology and so we launched uh, di- that we have this program um, called a personal information form
3: mm-hmm. and
4: up until last year that was paper-based right so it was like 10 pa- it was like 10 pages of handwritten notes about where you lived for the last 10 years have you ever been convicted of a criminal offense yeah, know. And, you know all of these things that every director and officer who wanted to participate in a venture listed company had to go through, so you know it it was it worked, and it was kind of the first step in our background checks. We then took those to do full criminal background checks on everyone who was active with us, hmm. but uh, you know the reality is we can use technology to do that a lot better, so we rolled out a digital version of that last year, which now enables directors to be at their at their vacation property over christmas and they can submit their director's personal information forms to us online uh, uh we don't need the wedding signature we don't need the notaries uh and it just patches right into our system so through that we've now had you know, i think it's i think the numbers were almost close to a thousand submissions uh just huh. in the first two months of the year wow. and you know i think those that's a that's a that's good evidence about the evolution and how we can bring technology in to streamline the process and reduce costs for our issuers.
0: Go ahead. I think I think of uh, Rob McEwen, if, if you hear him give speeches, it's almost like a stump speech where he, he talks about the uh, incredible rise of paperwork over his career, that he, he's going to put his foot down and demand less uh, paperwork. So it's good to see there's at least oh. some, <laughs> some
4: uh Yeah, it, the amount of paperwork is absolutely insane. Um, yeah. but it's not, it's not just driven, you know, it's, it's a culmination of regulation and of everybody wanting more information and everyone being afraid of, uh, litigation. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of good reasons behind that, but you know, there, we, we have technology out there that allows people to not have to print 10 pages, not have to print 10 pages out and courier it from Botswana, Africa, <laughs> where they were on mine site, right? Like, yeah. You know, we can do this stuff online now, uh, mm-hmm. and it makes it so much easier for a director to be able to save that information and just apply it to whichever company they're joined. Right. Um, we're, we're continuing to drive that adoption of technology throughout all of our listings processes. So we have our vFile system where an issuer can can just automatically submit their price reservation and their, and their private placement information to us. We're looking at ways to use uh, technology to enhance... The visibility of our issuers, mm-hmm. and we did it with we did it with the venture 50 companies. We had over 400,000 views of our venture 50 winners in 2017, and that's through social media channels. And we put these videos together, and we help bring attention to the companies that are listed with us. And then, you know, there there is the part of my job where where when you hear about about how other markets operate or about you know the increase in regulation on either the independent dealers or on companies, part of my role is to be the advocate for all of our stakeholders and to be able to have those discussions with the securities commissions or with IROC uh, around things like suitability and, and and try to bring some some modicum of, uh, of normalcy to the discussions, right? Where you can right. aggregate everything up and understand understand what's going on and then be able to advocate for... Uh, what's what's the right level
0: of of oversight right right and uh, just uh, from a practical perspective uh, I'm just kind of curious how the TSX Venture Exchange is tucked into uh, the rest of the larger TMX group and if if a person sure. wanted to meet a, a venture person what cities are you in that kind of thing yeah
4: um, well start, start with the easy one uh, we're we have offices in Vancouver Calgary Toronto and Montreal and you know, obviously, welcome investors, companies, people, stakeholders to to come by or schedule a meeting with us. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we're we're active and we listed 143 new companies last year on venture. So wow. uh, there's a lot. Yeah, you know, you, you hear about all the like the headlines of the death of the IPO that were happening early last mm-hmm. year, and yes. you know, the discount, the strength of the reverse takeover, and how that's enabled companies to list and grow with us. Um, right, exactly. Yeah. Great, great case studies there are like Canopy Growth Corp. They did their RTO in, in 2014. Wheat and Precious Metals even, you know, $12 billion TSX-60 company was a CPC originally. And so that, those are the companies that, you know, list on venture, grow on venture, start with us here. Mm-hmm. And I think that to your question of how do we fit into the broader TMX group. Venture is all about the about being able to work with these companies early in their life cycle, uh, when they're still figuring out what the revenue model is, or still figuring out what that what that first drill target looks like, um, when they're just raising those first couple million bucks and it's you know getting out and testing it. I find it the most exciting end of the market where you know these are these are step function increases to companies. It's yeah. you either have either have an asset or you don't have an asset, right? Yeah, and uh, and so you're, you're working with these companies in those early days of defining what their resource looks like. And then as those companies start to grow and they start to raise sequential rounds of capital and they start to say, Hey, you know what? It's important for us to have the ability to be included in something like the TSX index mm-hmm. or to have ISS and Glass Lewis advising their institutional investors to invest into us. At that mm-hmm. point, they graduate to TSX. Right. Um, in the earlier days when a company's trying to tap the market more frequently and raise more rounds of capital, when they're trying to use that share currency for acquisitions, then they're listed with us here on Venture because it's a streamlined process for them that doesn't need the same number of shareholder approvals and uh, and helps them these companies scale faster. Right, right. And so when you start looking at, at where how does that actually tie in and what do the numbers look like? Twenty percent of the companies in the TSX index now started out on venture. So, hmm. you know, it's over 600 and over 640 companies have graduated off of this market up to TSX in the last right. 15 years. And hmm. those are those are companies that were listed with us, grew with us, financed with us, used their share currency to scale with us by making acquisitions, and then uh, moved up to TSX when they when they got to that point.
0: Right. Right. Okay and uh, yeah we're just about coming up to the uh, half hour mark here so is there anything sure. else you're working on or you need to uh, tell us about
4: Yeah I think the biggest the biggest thing is you know looking at what's going on in the markets right now and you know we need to see the resource companies actually delivering some some positive results and it gets harder and harder every year for a new discovery to come out but mm-hmm. uh, I think that's going to be the biggest driver of investment capital for resource companies um, at the same time, you know the evolution of the evolution of Tesla and the need for for batteries for electric vehicles and uh, the use of zinc and copper for uh, developing countries and uh, you know it's four times as much copper required and it's four times as much copper required in an electric vehicle and if you think about developing countries every time they lay uh, an electrical grid they need more copper uh, mm-hmm. it's all got to come from somewhere. And I yes. think that those are very, very positive trends that we will continue to see strength on venture through. Yeah. Well,
0: it looks like a strong year ahead, and uh, thanks for joining us, Brady. Good luck with everything.
4: Thanks. Yeah, no. Year to year to date, we're 1.9 billion dollars in financing already. So it's wow. uh, th- yeah, it's markets are markets are here. The window's open, and uh, we're here to work with companies.
0: Great. Good to hear. Okay. Also, so long. Thanks very much. And that brings us to the end of this week's show. Thanks so much for joining us. And a special thanks to Brady Fletcher. Uh, Gee, Just just the kind of guy you want to see running the TSX Venture Exchange. And be sure to like us and follow us. Uh, Tell your friends about our podcast. We want to see this thing uh, keep growing and extending our reach around the world. And in the meantime, have a great week. And we'll see you next episode. Bye-bye.